0: All right, good morning, church. Hey, it's good to see you today. Uh, You know, We Love KC Picnic is coming up. I want to encourage you to be there with us and enjoy yourself. And uh, I want to encourage you, if you come, uh, which I hope you do, that you would have the mindset of a host. We are here to serve our community and to love and serve people well. We are to welcome uh, folks with the welcome of Christ, the same welcome that we have received from Jesus. So I want to encourage you all, uh, if you're you're with us on Saturday, enjoy yourself, but also uh, have an eye and a mind out for people that are with us that you don't know. Uh, just to, to meet them, encourage them, uh, find out a little bit about them. Uh, we just want to serve people and love people well. Amen. All right, so that's coming Saturday, 11 to 1. Uh, so as Jake mentioned, we are in what we're calling the year of discipleship, which is based uh, primarily around this Bible reading plan. We're immersing ourselves in the scriptures in this F260 Bible reading plan, uh, week number 43. So after today, we have nine more weeks left uh, of this, which is crazy. Uh, I want to encourage if you haven't joined us um You know, we're in the single digits now, so you have a chance to just jump in and join us for these last few weeks. Uh, Bob reading Plans over at Next Steps, also online on our website. Um, You know, we're in the series called Spirit and Truth, and we are in the New Testament. And uh, what we see in the New Testament is the church is growing and expanding. You know, the church is born after Jesus's death, burial, resurrection, ascension to heaven the promised holy spirit comes the church is formed and the church begins to grow and expand uh, as the gospel goes out into all the world and as people trust in jesus and begin following jesus and and y'all this is the way the church has has always grown from the very beginning from its inception till now is when the gospel goes out people trust in Christ, believe in him, begin to follow him, the church expands and grows. And at the heart of all of this is what we've been talking about. What we always talk about is the gospel. The gospel, the good news of the person the work of Jesus, that he came to rescue sinful people like us that had no way out of our sin, that had no way to fix or restore a relationship with God. It required Jesus coming and dying on the cross, taking our sin so that we could know God, And this is the good news. And at the heart of of the the church's expansion is the the going forth of that gospel message. And so these last couple weeks we've been talking about gospel centrality, that when the gospel, the truth about the person and work of Jesus is at the center of things. It, it affects everything. It changes everything. And last week we said that when this, the gospel is at the center, it makes us want to win others to Jesus. That having his gospel, like a deeper understanding of his gospel, gives us a gospel burden for souls. And then it produces within us this gospel generosity that we want to share in its blessings with others. So we want to share the truth of the gospel with others. And then in, in concert with that, it produces or begins to produce this gospel lifestyle that our message of good news is matched by a lifestyle that matches that message, a life that is, is all about good news that reflects the good news of God's grace. And so today we're going to actually press a little bit deeper into the gospel and we're going to talk about the subject of giving. Giving and I'm talking about financial giving. And, you know, if you're newer with us, if you're guests, I do want to make a disclaimer. This is not normal for me. In fact, I think this is the very first message I've ever fully devoted to the subject matter of giving in my life. Um, and, and, and I have actually, uh, felt a little bit of, um, conviction about that, that I haven't. And, and we'll talk about that here in a second, but I just want you all to know from the, the out, from the, the get go, uh, I'm not out to get your money. All right. That's not my intention this morning. Um, uh, my motive as, as always, I would say is to glorify God by preaching the gospel. That is my very first priority as a pastor, uh, Number two is to help you to grow in the grace of the Lord, to help you to grow in the gospel. That is that is my motive, period. Uh, but here's here's the truth, is that as we grow in the gospel, as we grow in the Lord, our faith becomes less compartmentalized. Do y'all know what I mean when I talk about being compartmentalized? You know, it, it, it's as if, you know, we we have these, compartments or spaces that we we allow God access to. So, for example, today we're having a, we have this every few months, we call it New to Friendship Lunch. We host it at, at our home. We invite people into our home We just to, to get to know them, to feed them lunch, uh, to give them a chance to ask questions, learn more about our church. Um, but you, you all know every time we open up our homes, We have to do, you know, some kind of deep, not deep cleaning. I make that sound terrible. We have to do a little bit of cleaning just to, you know, spruce things up. Um, But when people come into our home today, there's some common spaces, you know, where people will come in and there are some spaces that will be off limits. Y'all know what I'm saying? It's mainly the spaces with the doors closed. Okay. There's some people that may get access to those spaces, but not everybody right? And so there's certain compartments or spaces that are just off limits. But the same kind of plays out in our, in our faith as we grow in the Lord. You know, when we come to the Lord, the idea is that we give him all of ourselves, but practically the way it works out is we, we have little spaces that we, we give to the Lord, and there's spaces that we kind of hold on to for a while, But as we grow, we open more and more of those spaces up and we we begin to more and more say, God, you have access to this compartment of my heart or my life. And, And what I've discovered personally and with most folks who first put their faith in the Lord, one of the last compartments that we open up access to the Lord is this area, this area of our wallets or our pocketbooks for you old school folks, you know, our bank accounts to our, our money and our resources. And I think there's a couple of reasons why we, we tend to be slower in this area. Uh, one reason is because we, we, we maybe don't fully understand the, 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 the idea of stewardship, the, what we have, you know, we tend to say, well, this is mine. And so I'm going to hold on to it. When we understand the idea of stewardship, that's we're stewards, we're managers over things that have been given to us. We don't own anything. That God owns it all. He's given us um, the privilege and the blessing of stewarding those things. I mean, we, you know, one of the phrases I kind of despise is, you know, I'm a, I'm a self-made man or I'm a self-made woman. Well, mm-mm. God gave you the health and the drive and the ability to make the money that you make. And so uh, at the end of the day, we're stewards of what God has allowed us to have. So one reason I think we're slow to open up that compartment is because of, of understanding stewardship. A second one, I think, is just because we're still growing in our gospel understanding. And, and this is what we're going to talk about today, that the more we, we understand the gospel, the more we're willing to open up this area of our lives to the Lord. And that's kind of the direction we're going to be going today as we talk about this. You know, so, so while we don't necessarily want to stick our nose in people's business, and, you know, when it comes to money and giving, um, Jesus has a lot to say about our relationship with money. He, he says that our relationship with money actually tells a story about us, it actually reveals uh, something significant about our hearts. Jesus said in Matthew 6, Verse number twenty-one. He says, "For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also." So, in other words, Jesus says, "Where you put your money, um, it, it is where your your heart is going to follow. That your heart goes where your money goes. It, so, it reflects uh, our, our our money it reflects our heart, and th- there's." quite a few other striking words that that the Bible uses when it talks about our interaction with money. And let me read you three in particular as we're kind of setting the stage for what we're going to see in 2 Corinthians today. 1 Timothy 6 verse 10, it says this, "...for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It's through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs." Hebrews 13, 5, speaking again about the love of money, it says, keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, God has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Matthew 6, again, we're in Matthew 6, verse 24. Jesus goes on in that passage to say, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And so a lot of really like strong language when it comes to money. Now, the Bible doesn't say money is evil, but money makes a, a good servant a bad Lord, right? And so he says your heart when it comes to money and your devotion to money, your a love of money, serving money, it, it can get in the way. It can, it can pollute our hearts. And so... You know, if you know me at all, you know I don't. I don't tend to want to shy away from some of the hard topics that the Bible talks about, um, because you know, where else should we be able to talk about these things if we believe that that God is the author of life, that He has created us with purpose and intention, and that the the word of God is our guide for everything, then we ought to be able to talk about the things that God talks about. And so, um, you know, for me to neglect the topic of money is to neglect something that is needful for your soul. For me to neglect to talk about the subject of money would be for me to neglect something that's needful for your heart. And so today's sermon we're calling You Can't Outgive God you can't outgive god. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and even from the title from the outset we see that giving begins with god and his generosity towards us. We can't outgive give god. And so we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and let me give us a little bit of context for 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Actually the, the book of 2 or the letter of 2 Corinthians. We've been in 1 Corinthians the last couple weeks and, and Paul was writing this first letter Uh, to this church at Corinth, this Roman city, this group of believers because there was sin in the church. And so he wrote this letter to address sin, but many rejected his instruction. Some received it, many rejected it. In 2 Corinthians, early in chapter two, I believe, it says that Paul made a personal visit. And he wrote, to, he came face to face with them because they weren't responding to his instruction about their sin. And so at that point, many repented. And this was what 2 Corinthians calls his painful visit. He came face to face to address them. many of them repented and then Paul writes this this other letter we call it second corinthians there 's actually evidence that he wrote more than just two letters to the church at Corinth but many multiple reasons why he wrote this letter uh, we 're only going to talk about one we see here in chapters eight and nine one reason he wrote this letter was because there were Jewish Christians in Jerusalem who had fallen into poverty, okay? So when you think about the spread of the gospel, at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes, the church is born, kind of the the mother church, if you will, was in Jerusalem with these Jewish Christians. Well, those, those Christians had, had due, to, due, due to a famine, had uh, fallen into poverty in great need. And so what Paul did was he rallied the churches. So Paul was this great uh, missionary church planner. He went out from uh, the church that started in Antioch. He began to plant churches all uh, around the known world. And then he comes to rally these churches to say, hey, y'all, people of God, your brothers and sisters in Jerusalem at kind of the mother church are in, are in deep need. And so he rallies them to take up a collection or what we would call an offering, right? He's trying to collect money in order to provide for the need of those Jewish Christians, brothers and sisters um, at the church there. And so what happened was as Paul rallied the churches, most responded enthusiastically. Most were eager to help out. The, the church at Corinth, they started out eager to support them, but something along the way happened where they lost their desire to help uh be generous and provide for the need of those Jewish Christians. And so one of the reasons Paul wrote this letter, and in fact in in chapters 8 and 9 of 2 Corinthians, Paul addresses this. This is an issue. Why have you lost your desire to give? Why have you lost your desire to be generous to your brothers and sisters in need? And so this is the issue that that Paul hits head on. And we're going to look at in chapter 9, and we're going to read through verses 6 through 15 over the course of, of this morning, and we're going to look at, you know, why is this giving thing such an issue for them? Why is this giving thing such an issue for us? And so let me pray, and then we're going to dive into 2 Corinthians 9. Father God, again this morning, we want to say thank you for the opportunity that we have to worship you to come together as your people, as brothers and sisters in Christ, Uh, maybe even those who are just investigating the, um, the reality of who you are. Lord, thank you for this opportunity to hear from your word, to open up your book to see the things that you have said down through the ages, the things that applied then, the things that apply now, the things that uh, maybe for some of us are things that we're wrestling with even in our own lives today. And so God, I pray that you would speak to us, help us to see your word as uh, incredibly relevant to our lives here and now, the truth of the gospel. God, may it grip our hearts today, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So first thing is this, Giving is a sewing issue. Giving is a sewing issue. S O W, okay? I'm not talking about grab your needle and thread and start sewing. We're talking about sewing in terms of this, it's a farming term, it's an agricultural term. And so look at 2 Corinthians 9. We're going to read verse number 6. Paul says here, the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. And so Paul starts out with this, this term, this idea, sowing and reaping. And again, these are this is agri- agricultural terminology. All right, sowing and reaping. So to sow means to, to scatter seed or to plant seed. And the purpose of planting or sowing seed is for growth. You want to produce a crop. So sowing and then reaping. Reaping is on the back end. Sowing is on the front end, planting the seed. Reaping means to gather or to take up a crop or, you know, to have a return. It's to experience the harvest. So on the front end, you sow. You sow seed. You plant seed. And the hope is that you get to reap uh, the, the, the fruit of that, the harvest of that. So what Paul is addressing here is, is what we would call the law of, of the harvest, that you sow generously in order to reap generously. In other words, you, you, you sow a lot so that you receive a lot. Or the inverse is true. If you sow a little, you'll only receive a little. It, it also carries this idea here of, of investing or investment, all right, and, and I don't know if you ever thought about this, the difference between like investing and spending. Two very different things when you talk about your money. When you invest, you expect uh, like this long-term return on that, right? Uh, but sometimes we just spend money because we need to. You spend money on gasoline, which isn't a long-term investment, right? You're spending to meet a need. Um, So I I thought about it this week. You know, we, uh, on Monday, we took, uh, my wife and I took our son Aiden on his 17th birthday out to eat. And uh, we spent more on this meal than we typically do. It's one of those kind of meals where I look at the bill, even though I know we're spending more, and I'm like, gulp, (laughs) like, oh my goodness. I hate spending this much money. If I looked at it just as spending money, I would go, oh, that is way too much. But I looked at it, this is an investment. This is time with, with our son and celebrating and honoring him. And so it's an investment, right? Because there's a lot of times I'm, you know, I'm buying Taco Bell and that's not an investment in anything, right? Um, so there's a difference between investing and spending. And, and, and what Paul is getting at here is Man, whenever we, we give to bless others, whenever we give to help others, whenever, whenever we give to contribute to the work of God, it's never throwing money away. It's always an investment. We're sowing. There is a return. There is always a harvest that will come. Now, that, that doesn't mean we're, we're, you know, we're not wise with how we spend our money or how we invest our money. But there is always a harvest when we give with a heart of of sowing and reaping. And what Paul says is if you you sow generously, you sow bountifully, you're going to reap bountifully. But the opposite is true. If you sow a little, you're not going to receive much in return. And so if we only spend money on ourselves, if we only sow a little, uh, what he says here is we're never going to get to experience the bounty. We're never going to get to experience The harvest. And we see this principle throughout Scripture. And again, I just want to take you to a few places briefly to show this principle of of, of sowing and reaping. And when we sow generously and bountifully, we will reap bountifully. Proverbs 11, 24 and 25. The writer says this. There's one who gives freely yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. So it's like this reverse principle. It's like the more freely you give, the, more, the, more you, the richer you become. And yet the stingier you are, the more you suffer want. Uh, Luke 6.38, Jesus says this, Give and it will be given to you. Good measure pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Now, this isn't, what Jesus was saying here was, your motive isn't like, I give in order to get in return. Uh, that's, that's not what he's saying here. Uh, he, he's saying that, that, that there's, there's no strings attached. When we, when we give generously at a of heart of generosity, man, God is gonna bless that. God is, is, is going to bless your generosity with more generosity when you give with the right heart. Proverbs 3, 9, and 10 says, says it this way. Honor the Lord with your wealth. For some of us, you know, you have more wealth than others, all right? He says, honor the Lord with your wealth, with all that you have, and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will be bursting with wine. This is this principle of sowing and reaping. So giving is first of all a sowing issue. Here's here's the second thing I want us to see from this passage. Giving is a heart issue. Giving is a heart issue. Verse number seven he goes on to say this. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So what Paul is saying here is that giving comes from your heart. This is the place where it originates. John MacArthur, pastor and theologian, says this, the term translated decided, in other translations it says purposed in his heart, the term translated decided occurs only here in the New Testament, and it indicates a premeditated, predetermined plan of action that is done from the heart voluntarily, but not impulsively. So Paul says, you give as you have decided in your heart. It's something you purpose, and it's premeditated, it's predetermined, I'm going to give. And so it's thought out, it's, it's weighed, it's not impulsive, and yet it comes from your heart, this is an age-old giving, uh, principle of giving. In fact, we can even see this back in Exodus 25. This is the Lord when he instructs Moses regarding taking up money to build the, the, the sanctuary. He says this, Moses, speak to the people of Israel that they take for me a contribution or an offering from every man whose heart moves him. You shall receive the contribution for me. So what God was saying is, hey, everybody, you, you must give. He says, no, no, no. Whoever's heart the Lord moves, you give. So giving is an issue of, of the heart. And, and he says it's, it's not out of a sense of duty or obligation it's not out of a sense of guilt or pressure. And y'all, this is, this is why as a, as a pastor, I would be maybe more timid to talk about giving because I don't ever want it to come across as hey, I'm pressuring you to give or I'm, I'm, I'm guilting you into giving. I don't want you to give out of duty. I don't want you to give out of obligation. I want it to come out of a heart of what, what Paul is saying here, a heart of joy a heart of joy, not I have to give, but I get to give. I get to contribute to the work of God. I get to be uh, the source of, of blessing to someone that God could use me as as a, an instrument of blessing to other others. I get to give. It is not to be done with a sense of duty or obligation or guilt or pressure. It's to be done from the heart, from a heart of Joy. In fact, this word here, where when Paul says in verse 7, each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. That word cheerful in the Greek, it's, it's also uh, the word from which we get the word hilarious, which is interesting, all right? Think about the word, if you ever use the word hilarious or you describe something that's hilarious, all right? You just, that's, that's something where you literally L-O-L, Right, we don't often LOL. We use the the letters laugh out loud, but or rolling on the floor laughing. Who does that? Nobody. But hilarious. When something is hilarious, man, it just tickles you, right? It just brings this kind of joy to your heart. What Paul says is God loves a cheerful giver. Like there's such joy. Like, I'm not being forced. You're not twisting my arm. I don't feel obligated to do this. Man, this is a joy and a privilege. That's what God loves. Giving that comes out of that kind of heart. Have y'all ever received a gift from somebody or maybe a birthday card or something that you're like, that was out of obligation, right? Um, It may be from my wonderful, you know, insurance agent. It looks like a personal card. I'm like, oh, that's a form card. You know, I'm like, pfft. I thought he was actually writing a happy birthday card. It came from the heart. It, it, a gift is, that is given out of obligation, like, feels kind of empty sometimes, doesn't it? God wants a cheerful, a cheerful heart, a cheerful giver. Giving is a heart issue, and we see that all throughout Scripture. Well, here, here's the third thing that I want us to look at this morning. Giving is a sewing issue. It's a heart issue. Thirdly, giving is a gospel issue. Giving is a gospel issue. Now we're gonna read verses eight through 14, as as Paul speaks here. But but one of the words, you know, we've, we've been talking about the last few weeks about this idea of gospel centrality. Uh, when I use the word gospel, we talk about, you know, gospel is the good news of Jesus, death, burial, resurrection. But one of the, the words that we see a lot in the New Testament in scripture that is, is really synonymous with the gospel is the word grace. We talk about grace, the grace of God that we didn't do anything to deserve it. We didn't do anything to earn it. It's simply the grace of God given to us. So we'll see that that word pop up here, even in this first verse, as we read through uh, these verses. But giving is a gospel issue, and, and this is kind of three subpoints for you when we talk about the gospel. Uh, it's a first of all, it's a provision of it's a provision of grace. Giving it is a provision of grace. And I want us to read verses 8 through 11 as we kind of break this down. Giving is a gospel issue. First of all, it's it's a provision of grace. Paul says this, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Verse number 10. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food. Who, now let me ask you a question. Who do you think he's talking about here? Who's the one who supl- supplies seed to the sower, bread for food? Anybody? Anybody? It's the Lord. He's speaking about the Lord, right? Who provides seed to the sower and bread for food. He is the one who supplies these things. He will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increased increase the harvest harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce. Thanksgiving to God, so it is a provision of grace. In other words, it it comes out of His abounding grace toward us. He is the one that provides. So here's here's what it says, and I think I miss out on this idea, or maybe never have even fully caught this idea. He, He basically says this: If you want to be generous, He will supply what you need in order to be generous. He will, in fact, it says he will supply and multiply what you need in order to give, in order to, to bless others. God will bless you in order to bless others. Like, think about that. Have you ever in your life said, man, I wish I could be more generous. I wish I could give more to this. Have you ever said that or thought that? Here's what Paul says, if you have a heart to give, if if God has given you a desire to be generous, what he's saying in essence is don't wait until your finances line up and match up with that. Well, when I get more money, I'll be more generous. He says, I will supply your need. I will multiply what you have in order for you to be generous. Don't wait until everything lines up in your eyes Walk by faith and be generous, and God will supply what you need. It is a provision of grace. Here's the second thing. Giving is a gospel issue. It's a provision of grace. It is an act of grace. It is an act of grace, or what we would call generosity. Verse number 12, he goes on to say this for the ministry of this service. And, and what he's talking about is this, this ministry of service, of, of supplying the needs of those Jewish Christians in need. He says, for the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. So here, here's what he's saying. This, this is an act of grace. What you are doing is you are helping supply the needs of those Jewish brothers and sisters. Like when you give, when you participate in this collection, this offering, he says, you are supplying their needs. And I want to just back up a moment and go back to chapter 8, and we'll read verses 14 and 15, because again, chapters 8 and 9 really go together, and it's about this whole subject matter of the collection for the the Jerusalem church. He says back in chapter 8, verses 14 and 15, Paul says, your abundance is at the present time, in other words, you've got plenty of finances, you've got plenty of resources on hand, you are taken care of. He says, your, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your needs, so that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little, had no lack. What Paul is doing is he's referring back to Exodus. I don't know if you remember the story when God provided manna from heaven to feed his people, but he said, hey, I'm only giving you enough for today. And there's there's never too much, there's never too little. And, and it's this, this passage, it's an illustration of God's People like sharing their resources with one another. So everyone always had exactly what they needed. And what Paul says here is when you give, when you are generous out of your abundance, you help meet the needs of others in their need. You see what what we're saying here? This is an act of, of grace. It is an act of generosity. That when you have need and my needs are provided for, I get to, as a brother or sister, step up to the plate and help provide or supply your need. And then likewise, when I am in need, you get the privilege of helping step up and provide for my need. And this is way, this is, honestly, this is the way families work, right, if you have a family member and, and they're in need, uh, you, you kind of will step up to the plate to help them. Or likewise, this is how, this is how physical family works. This is how the spiritual family works. This is how God's people work that in our generosity we get to meet one another's needs. It is an act of grace and what he says here in chapter 9 is that your generosity it causes others to give thanks to God. And you know one of the things I've I've seen uh, in our church as we become more and more rooted in the gospel is I see this play out in our church family. That when, when some folks have needs, others have the means to help, they come alongside to help. And that's a glorious thing, amen? When family lives as family, when you know that when you hit a time when you are in need, you know that the brothers and sisters around you are going to rally to your cause and help you, right? This is an act of grace. This is a gospel issue. And here's here's the third thing I want to say about this being a gospel issue. It's a provision of grace. It's an act of grace. It is a response to grace. Our generosity, our giving is a response to grace. The grace of God that we have received in Christ. Here is what Paul says back in chapter 9 verses 13 and 14. He says this by their approval of this service they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all for all others while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you it is a response of grace in other words when you give to them they are going to Give thanks to God because you are submitting to God out of your confession of the gospel. In other words, the reason you're giving is, your generosity is proof that you believe the gospel. Your generosity, your giving is proof that you understand how much you have been given and how much you have been blessed this is a response to grace. It's, it's proof of the gospel at work in you. It's not a way to gain favor with God. It's a proof that his work is, is, is happening in your life. And I want to back up again. I want to read the first nine verses of chapter 8. I think we need to see this as Paul kind of introduces this whole subject matter of, of giving. In chapter 8, verses 1 through 9, he says this. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. So again, I want to make sure that you see this, that this whole idea of giving our money, it's all rooted and flows out of the gospel. It comes out of the gospel. And so he says this in verse two, for in a severe test of affliction, He's talking about the churches of Macedonia who are willing to give and be a part of this offering. He says, For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And I just want to pause because what Paul says is those churches in Macedonia that are giving to this, man, in the midst of affliction, in the midst of their own extreme poverty, they begged us, man, we have, we don't have much to give, but would you let us give to serve and to bless our brothers and sisters? Would you give us the privilege of being able to help support them with whatever that, we, whatever that we have. He says, even to their own detriment, they gave out of, out of extreme poverty, but it says it brought them abundance abundance of, of joy. Verse number five, he says, Paul says in this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace, this act of giving. But as you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and all earnestness and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also, this grace of giving. Verse number 8. Paul says, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is genuine. In other words, by your giving, you're proving that your faith is real. Verse number nine, don't miss this. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Mic drop for Paul. He says, this is the reason that you give. Because the example of the Lord Jesus Christ was that although he was rich beyond measure, that he had all the riches of heaven, the riches of glory, for your sake he became poor. He gave up everything, for your sake and for my sake so that we could experience the goodness and the grace of God. Y'all, this is the gospel. This is the gospel. And any giving that you and I do, it's not motivated by, man, I have to do this. I should do this. A good Christian does this. No, it comes out of a heart that's gripped by the gospel that says, how could I not give in return, out of response to what God has so richly and freely given to me. Our giving is a response to grace. Again, it's not a way to gain favor with God. It's a response to the favor of God at work in our lives And I just want to read one more verse, verse 24 of chapter 8. He kind of ends that chapter by saying, So give proof before the churches of your love and of our boasting about you to these men. Again, our giving is proof that God is working in our hearts. So giving is a sowing issue. It's a heart issue. It's a gospel issue. So let me take a minute to, to answer this question. So how do we live in light of this? How do we live in obedience to to what we've seen here? So let me talk for a second about the the, the Jewish people. From the Old Testament, from early on, the Jewish standard for giving, the Jewish standard, the the obligation of the Jewish people was what we call a tithe, which literally means a tenth, 10%. Leviticus 27 verse 30 uh, kind of introduces or speaks to this. It says, every tithe of the land... Whether of the seed of the land or the fruit of the trees, it is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. So they're talking about, so, you know, produce or livestock, you know, whatever it is, a tenth of what you have, you are to give to the Lord. This was the expectation, the standard for the Jewish people. But here's what's happening in the New Testament. They needed a deeper motivation than just, I'm going to give 10%. They needed a deeper motivation, so Paul gave them the gospel. They needed a deeper motivation than this is what the law says. This is, this is the, the percentage that I am to give. They needed a deeper motivation, and so Paul gave them the gospel. Listen, y'all, I don't want to manipulate you to give. I do want to motivate you to give. I wanna motivate you to give because the normal means of motivation is guilt and obligation. We need more than that. We need gospel motivation. So we are in this year of discipleship, right? 2022, this was birth in our hearts uh, probably about a year ago. We we were talking about the the state of our church. And you know, in the aftermath of, of COVID and all those things, when, you know, across the board, most churches experienced a decline in attendance, a decline in people serving, a de- decline in people giving. And it was no different with, with friendship. We looked at our church a year ago um, and, and really beyond that and said, man, uh, people aren't uh, giving and people aren't serving like they did. And so, you know, we. You know, as we look at the state of our church, we're like, man, we, we need more people to serve. We need more people serving in our kids' ministry and, and greeting people and doing ministry to youth and all the things. We need more people serving. And we need more. Our resources have declined. We need people to give more. Um, and, you know, in, in church world, in church ministry world, uh, you know, one of the ways that you remedy that is, well, I'm going to start preaching on giving, And I'm gonna start preaching on serving. And this is what we ought to do and we're called to do that. And those those aren't bad things. But when I looked at where our church was, here was was what I came to. I'm not gonna spend a sermon series talking about giving. I'm not gonna spend a sermon series talking about serving. Here's what our people need. Our people need the gospel. We need the gospel. We need a deeper motivation than, hey, you ought to give. Hey, you ought to serve. Hey, we are in, we are in big need as a church. The mindset is this. If we get the gospel, if we grip the gospel, if the gospel grips our hearts, when your heart is gripped by the gospel, you will so bountifully, not sparingly, When God gets hold of our heart, we will naturally, out of the overflow of what he is doing in us, we will give. You don't have to browbeat me to give. It is a privilege that I get to participate in the mission of God. And what he has blessed me with, I get to be a partner in that. You don't have to browbeat people to say, hey, we need you to serve people. No, if you understand the more deeply we grow in our understanding of how much Christ has served us, the more freely and joyfully we will serve others. Not because some pastor got up and made me feel guilty because I'm not doing it. It's because of the love of Christ compels me. Amen? We need a motivation that is is a gospel motivation. Thus the year of discipleship. And you know what we've seen this year? That as the more and more that the gospel grips our heart, the more people we see step up and say, I want to serve. The more people we see step up and say, I'm going to give of my finances to be a part of what God is doing here. We don't have to guilt people into anything. We simply do what Paul did was give them the gospel and let the gospel go to work. And this is what we have done this year. When your heart is gripped by the gospel, you'll sow bountifully, not sparingly. So let me say this a tenth, you know, a tithe is a great baseline. A tenth is a great amount to give, but we don't want to get stuck there because this was an Old Testament standard. Here is the New Testament standard it's not give a tenth. The New Testament standard is this give it all, give all of yourselves, hold nothing back because Jesus gave us not 10%, He gave us 100%. Now, In case you, like, so you don't get nervous, I'm not asking you to give 100% of your income to the church, all right? I'm not asking that because what we're called, we saw it in chapter 8, verse 7, we're called to grow or excel in this grace of giving. What he's talking about here is, like, grow in this. We're to grow in this grace of giving. Not obligated to 10%, but, man, we're going to continue to grow in this grace of giving. So let, let me just share this with you. It's just a personal story. Um, you know, I didn't grow up in the church. Many of you know that. I came to Christ late in high school, um, just before I turned 17. And one of the things, first things I learned, because I grew up in a, you know, I came into a good Baptist church that said, hey, you need to give, tithe, 10%. Um, and so from the very start, I learned to give. And I just made it part of my, my habit. Um, I got my first job, and I had already kind of understood this principle of tithing. So I started giving 10%, which is, you know, not a big deal if you make, you know, 200 bucks a month, all right? It's kind of like chump change at that point. So it was easy for me to grow, like just get used to giving 10% of my income. And so for years and years, uh, I gave 10%. I was like, this is what I'm supposed to do. This is the right thing to do, to support the church, to contribute to the ministry uh, of God through the local church. And then a few years ago, I got convicted about that. Like all I've done is give 10% year after year, after a year of my life, and i haven 't grown in the grace of giving, uh, and I was convicted by that and so you know what i 've done the last few years um, and again, this is a confession for me is i've i've tried to increase every year we increase one percent of what we give one percent. I would love to get to a place where I'm giving 20%, 30%. Uh, i 'm giving twenty percent thirty percent i don 't know if I'll, how long i 'll live if i 'm at this one percent pace um, but for me, that's an example of like at the beginning of the year, I go, mm, "That's another 1% of my income I'm going to give to the Lord. But God, I want to grow in this. And I trust you that you're going to continue to provide for me. And so we continue to, you know, for years I did my duty. And listen, if you're given 10% out of duty, I'm not going to argue. I'm not going to give it back to you and say, hey, well, don't do that. Okay, we'll, we'll receive it. But what God calls us to is to grow in this grace of giving that we continually give more and more and more because hopefully our hearts are continually more and more and more gripped by the generosity the kindness of god towards us and so the more we understand the gospel the deeper we grow in the gospel the more generously we will give i think of this verse psalm 37 verse 25 David said this, I have been young and now I'm old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children. (laughs) Begging for bread. I don't know why that hit me so hard. (laughs) Um, You know what David was saying? I've always seen God be faithful. Always seen God faithful. You know, I remember a year when, with a family of five, I made $24,000, and we gave, and God was faithful. It was miraculous, I'm just telling you. God will always supply and multiply your need. If you have a heart to give and to be generous out of the abundance of what he has done for us. So, I want to invite you to something. If you've never given regularly, maybe you've never given a cent, or maybe you give once in a while... 10% 10% is awesome. Uh, I think 10% is a great baseline. But to go from 0 to 10% I know is a significant jump. If, if you feel convicted to give 10% or to begin giving 10%, uh, hallelujah. But here's what I would challenge you or invite you to do. Start with 1%. And maybe a pastor shouldn't say this. All right. <laughs> I would say if you're going to grow in the grace of giving, maybe you would say, I'm going to start with 1%, 2%, 3%. I'm just going to start giving regularly. God, I'm going to trust that you're going to provide, that you're going to use my resources to bless, and you're going to supply and multiply my need to be able to continue to, to grow in this and to be generous. So if the reality of his grace grips you today, and you've, I would encourage you to go to, from zero to one, one to two, two to three, three to four, whatever it is, whatever he calls you to do, and let me just throw out one one more teaser, and then we'll we'll wrap this up. December every December we do a a, a Christmas offering, and uh, this year I'm really excited uh, for what we're gonna together uh, contribute towards. Uh, And I call it a teaser because I'm not going to tell you what that is yet. Uh, Friendsgiving, which is coming up in a couple weeks, November 13th uh, at our Friendsgiving celebration. uh, I want to give you a little bit of vision for what uh, our Christmas offering is going to be and what that's going to go towards. I'm really, really doggone excited about that because I'm excited to see the proof of our growth in the gospel in the year of discipleship. So, Stay tuned for that. All right, let me just end with the very last verse that Paul ends with, and we're done. Verse number 15 of 2 Corinthians 9. Paul says this Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. You know what Paul is talking about? You know what he's referencing here? The gift of his son. He's referring to the gift of the gospel, the person and the work of Jesus. Paul can't help. He's talking about giving and giving and generosity and sowing and reaping and all this. And he just comes to the end of this. And Paul can't help but think about the greatest giver, God himself, and the greatest gift that's ever been given, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he like breaks out in this exclamation of praise. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Y'all, we are the the beneficiaries of the gift of Jesus. You know, God is the one who has sown bountifully for our sake. He didn't sow sparingly. He gave all. And so we get to enjoy the bounty of his blessing. And in turn, we can now joyfully, sacrificially, bountifully sow and reap to the glory of God. Amen. God, thank you for all that you have given us. Thank you for the truth of the gospel that though you were abundantly rich beyond all all comprehension, yet for our sakes, you became poor. And so God, thank you for the truth of the gospel this morning. I pray that today and this week, man, our hearts would be more and more uh, gripped by the truth of the gospel. Thank you for what you have done for us in Christ. Lord, I pray that you would would, um, convict us, instruct us, invite us into this grace of giving. God, that would you grow us in this area in whatever way that you see fit. Lord, we love you. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to be generous and to reflect the heart of Christ for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.